episode 216, Kathy Fayok, the business book strategist. Well, it's, it's interesting how this cause is a cause for great contemplation and uh, introspection. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Kathy, her work, her books, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake216. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Kathy Fayot, the business book strategist. Kathy leads her own consulting and coaching and speaking practice. She's been a member of the National Speakers Association for more than 30 years, and she's a certified speaking professional. She started a coaching business in 2014. She's helped nearly, or maybe it's over 200 professionals over. <laughs> become published authors, uh, including me. So Kathy coached me through the writing and publication of my most recent book, Measures of Success. And uh, Kathy has again been coaching me on the book. I'm trying to get finished up here, The Mistakes That Make Us. So before I tell you all about Kathy's own books, Kathy, thank you for being here. How are you? Great to be here. Thanks so much, Mark. Well, I'm excited to um, you know hear your story, and, and there's a lot we can talk about here today. But I will tell everyone first, and, and correct me if uh, we might be missing something. You've written so many books here. Um, on your mark, from first word to first draft in six weeks, uh, blog to book, repurposing content to discover the book you've already written, the speaker author, sell more books and book more, speech or, uh, book more speeches, and the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestseller, Authority. Anything, I, I feel like there, gosh, there's um, the one that you co-wrote with Everett. Remind me of the title of that one. Right, right. My new book, which is a workbook for uh, authors who are wanting to kind of pull together all their thoughts and the strategic direction for their book. So that's the newest book, my new book. <laughs> so I'll put um, links in the show notes to Kathy's website. You can find her, of course. Uh, um, on Amazon, find her books there. So, you know, Kathy, as we always do here, I'm curious to hear what your story is going to be. What would you say is your favorite mistake? Well, it's it's interesting how this cause is a cause for great contemplation and uh, introspection. But um, as I'm thinking back, it was uh, at a time when I was working in my own business and um, things were sort of uh, falling apart in my personal life. Uh, my mom passed away. She had worked with me in the business. Uh, and um, things just weren't as easy or coming to me as as easily as they were before. And I thought that I needed to leave my own business and be a part of a team. And that really has been my biggest mistake. Although, as I'm thinking back on it, I'm not I'm not sure that there's any way I could have learned the lesson other than having gone through it. Because what happened was uh, I did join a team 
And uh, it was, as many teams are, very dysfunctional. <laughs> and and what I found was that uh, while, yes, I do love working with other people, I love collaborating with others, what I found was that um, it didn't allow me the opportunity to um, set my own vision, set my own course, um, make my decisions, make my make my own mistakes. Actually, uh, I felt like I was being uh, held back by the vision or the um, the the thinking of someone else, which is fine when you join an organization, you know, you can't be the one in charge all the time. But I guess after so many years of being an entrepreneur, making my decisions, really loving, loving the the aspects of making my decisions, going into a, a team environment was really wrong. So I had to make the mistake, though, several more times. I, I uh, went from that organization to another organization that was equally but differently uh, dysfunctional <laughs> and then another team and then finally I had the wherewithal to say I need to get back to my own company call my own shots do it my way and I've learned that I really am unemployable <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, what was, was that? Well, thank you for sharing all that. I, th I think there's a little more we can, you know, un unpack from all that. Was your previous business similar to what you're doing now or was it, was it different? It, it was, it was, I was a human resources consultant. I uh, did speaking and training primarily more than consulting. I was on faculty with the Society for Human Resource Management. It was a really a great business. I'd written books, uh, as a strategy to uh, differentiate myself and grow myself in the marketplace. So in many ways, I was very, very successful. Uh, I was just starting to feel very lonely. And I think that was really precipitated more by the, the death of my mom, who had been my uh, work partner than anything. In fact, we we even authored a book together. So um, that's how close we were. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Um was it like when you were in that first organization, how how long did you stay? Was it was it difficult to admit the mistake? Yes. Yes, it was. Because I didn't really even admit it at first. I just thought mm. I'd pick the wrong team. Mm -hmm. Um, but um mm. uh, so the question was, was, yeah, wrong, wrong team or being on any team of of right, what, what right. was the mistake? Yeah, so I thought at first it was just being on the wrong team. Uh, I found that not everyone had the same work ethic that I did. Uh, I am like, I like to work hard and be rewarded for that hard work and then play hard. So um, I, I don't mind working hard, but but I also uh, don't, and I don't mind people uh, having a good time but let's get our work done and let's um <laughs> let's move forward with the order of the business and uh and get that work done. So so how long was it before you left that that first company? Oh, to try it, again? it was 4 years. I gave it oh, a good okay. 4 years. And um and really finally uh, they asked me to leave. Um and he had asked me it was a company that was doing primarily um 
uh, financial consulting. And I was their recruiter. And I also managed their human capital projects. And I was actually one of the best salespeople in the whole country for human capital projects. But my boss came to me and said, you know, we're really not a human capital company. We are a financial company. We want to stay in our lane and we want to do that. So um, you you can continue with this company, but you will need to, um, if you get any human capital work, you will not get credit for it. Um, you will you will not be encouraged to do any of the human capital things that you have um, been doing in the past. And, you know, my whole career up to that point had been in building my reputation, uh, building um, a, a thought leadership within the human capital community. And, and, and at first, my reaction when he came to me was like, oh, I can do it because I know I can do it. But did I want to do it? And was it worth it for me to do it? And was I offering my best self to the organization if I was going to be in this space that I really am not qualified for? I, I have no interest or passion for. So um, so after much contemplation, um, I said, no, I'm going to I'm going to go in another direction. And so I left the organization and joined another human capital organization and then another human capital organization. Uh, I was at the second organization for about a year and a half and the third one for a year. And then I finally found my direction, my calling to go forward as a book coach. Yeah. So you I mean, you you touch on so many interesting points here and, and challenges a lot of us face of um, recognizing a problem. Have we a, a mistake? Have we framed it properly? You know, being, being stuck in that situation of uh, feels like a mistake, but I want to, I, I feel like I can make it better. I want to see it through versus cutting yes. bait and, and moving on. I mean, after, after the first time, um, you, you talked about how it was four years, year and a half, one year. What was it? Did it become easier to to come to the realization of okay, gosh, I need to move on? Or yes, it did because I was thinking at first. I, I was thinking, you know, I just had found the wrong team, and um, and after the first experience, uh, I'm not sure that hypothesis was untrue or true. So I thought it, I just need to be on a different team. So I was on a different team. Um, with no better results. And then the third team, and I'm like, okay, Kathy, <laughs> let's learn from this. And perhaps you don't need to be on a team. Perhaps perhaps you are a solopreneur who just needs collaboration and to find lots of opportunities for community and for um, uh, connection with others. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's really where I ended up. Yeah. So then I'd love to hear a little bit more of the story then of you, you, you mentioned having that spark of saying you know, you're going to form the business that that you're doing now, working with authors. You know, tell, tell us a little bit more of the, the origin story of the current business. OK, I stumbled into it. Yeah. Um, basically, I was working for this company. I was not happy. I didn't know what to do next. I was working as an HR consultant and thinking, I'm not even sure I want to be an HR consultant anymore. I'm just not sure that that's the right space for me. And um, I got a call out of the blue 
as sometimes these things happen, from uh, my chapter of the National Speakers Association. Then the president of the local chapter said, Kathy, I heard a rumor that you wrote one of your books in less than six weeks. And I said, well, actually, I wrote uh, four of my five books at the time in less than six weeks. And he said, that is amazing. Do you have a process? And I thought about it. I thought that was a really great question. I thought, yeah, I guess I do have a process. He said, would you be willing to give a program for a chapter about your process? And I said, yes, absolutely. He said, but before you say yes, he said, um, we have a couple of our chapter members who are working on their books. Would you be willing to coach them using your process and then give your presentation to the chapter? And I said, oh, you had me at give a presentation <laughs> as a speaker. So, uh, yeah. I started, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I started coaching these two women who were friends of mine. And pretty quickly they said, have you ever thought about being a book coach? And my response was, uh, I don't even know. Is that, is that a thing? Is there a need? Uh, and they said, oh, yes, yes. And so fast forward to my presentation to the chapter, my friend's course, I've been a member for more than 30 years. My friends came up to me and said, Kathy, have you ever thought about being a book coach? <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is the sign. This is what I need to be doing next. So that was in the spring of 2013. And by January 2014, I launched my new business. And of course, what I needed to do in order to position and pivot because um, I really didn't have any credentials as a book coach, mm -hmm. except that I had authored books, mm -hmm. except that I now needed to author a book about how to <laughs> write books. Right. <laughs> and yeah. that was my credential. And that's what I tell people about the power of a book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, uh, as you were thinking about this business and you brand yourself um, business book coach, like that is was you know I mean you were writing business books so was that kind of a natural fit or I'm, I'm yes. curious, like you know was it did you worry it was a mistake to narrow the focus or a mistake not to well in fact my husband really tried to talk me out of it he said why don't you just help, help people start businesses you know start businesses as consultants I said you know or, or as coaches or whatever and or speakers and. I said, you know, I don't think that's specific enough. I think that being niched is the way to go. Um, so against his uh, advice, I just thought this is this just feels right. This feels like a, the right niche. It feels like the right area. It feels like the right use of my expertise. Um, it's also where my passion is. I'm really, really passionate about the power of books. I really believe that they are magical and what they can do for your career. And I've seen that now not just once, but at least twice with this, this, um, my initial career direction. And now this huge pivot into book coaching yeah. and, uh, it's the power of a book. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, but it's proved powerful for you. I can certainly speak to how that has been powerful going back to, um, the first book I wrote, uh, 2008. So going back 15 years ago, that certainly opened a lot of doors and, um, I, maybe, you know, in, in, in the second part of the conversation here, I, I think maybe there's three categories that we can talk about of like sort of 
Um, and, and this is something you do really well is thinking about the business model around a book, the concept of a book and your business yes. writing and, and then publishing. So maybe we can talk about that, that first part. And, you know, we talk about following a passion. Um, I, that's been, I think one of the drivers for, for me when an idea finally hits a point where I'm, you know, I want to write again. I figure I'll write again, but I don't know. And then, and then something hits and something builds and becomes a passion. My favorite mistake, this podcast has been a passion and and, and the book is an extension of that. Um, I'm, I'm sure the answer might be, it depends, but I'll ask the question anyway. Can, can it be a mistake? <laughs> to, I mean, where, where do we find the balance between um, following a passion of, of what you want to write about versus kind of trying to understand uh, a market for a book or the business model around a book? I think it's the intersection of those two things. Um, um, I think your passion will take you where you have interest and where you have just a curiosity and a desire. And I think anytime you start a business or write a book, it's a big project. It's a big deal. And it will it will take a lot of energy, resources, time. Uh, so you better be really excited about it and passionate about it. So I, I think that, uh, but you can't do it just, I mean, if I'm just ex- super excited about something that no one in the rest of the world is interested in, um, then so what? Um, so there has to be that intersection of finding the the sweet spot of those two. But oftentimes, what I what I do is talk with authors about the importance of of seeing sort of where the market is going, sort of anticipating. Um, and I think if you if you've been in business for a little while, you you have a sense of that. You have a sense of what is becoming hot and what is becoming trending. Uh, what what are issues are trending? What is um, the excitement going forward? And then um, thinking about ways to uh, align your passion with that direction. And that. That business model um, around a book. Um, you know, I'm thinking. You know, you, you talked about your husband's question of should you help people start businesses. <laughs> you know, a, a, a book is like a startup. It in is lot, in a lot of ways. You're you're creating something um, new. It's probably innovative. Um, so the the I guess the the dilemma of you know can can you rely on on focus groups or feedback or how much do you follow your gut to your point um Kathy have you, you you think you have a sense of where things are headed sometimes you have to get out in front of others um that might be true with the book sometimes absolutely well i saw it with my first book uh my first book was written back in 1989 it was published in 90 and it was on the aging of the workforce and I was way ahead of my time. Uh, it was certainly an issue then, and employers were dealing with the issues of an aging workforce and older workers and so forth. But it was it was I was far ahead of the curve. But what has been interesting about that, even though I have been ahead of the curve there, writing the book about that topic has served me 
even all these years later, uh, I, uh, while almost all of my work is around book coaching, I did take on a project several years ago with someone who needed a generational expert on a topic. And um, I've been able to realize um, uh, many dollars in uh, revenue from that project that was from this book that I had established my thought leadership around, you know, all these years ago. So I think that's, the again, the power of a book. It doesn't mean that um, you're only um, a thought leader for a short period of time. If you've written a book, uh, a significant book on, on, a, on an important issue, you'll always own that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's that the the credibility that comes from that. And one one thing that I've discovered in the process of writing is if, if you feel like you know enough about a topic to write a book, the best way to learn, you end up learning so much more about that topic, hopefully, as, as you're writing, right? Yes. In fact, I'm, I'm uh, working on some things right now on the transformational power of authorship. Um, and actually, it's interesting. It's, it's the intersection of AI and where AI comes into because, you know, you can you can have your book written by AI now. So what what is what does writing do for the author? What is writing something do for my readers? For my, what does me writing something do for my readers? And I do think that there is something that happens when you are collating the information, you're curating all of this knowledge, you're putting it all together, coupling it with your own experience, telling your stories, then it, it, it creates something that's completely different. Um, and you own your thought leadership like you've never done before. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I am right now. That's a kind of an, an, a trending issue that is um, really it's it's intriguing, uh, the yeah. nature of this question. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um you mentioned AI. I mean, I've played around with Open GPT. You can tell it's a technology person, not a marketer who <laughs> with that with that name. But um, you know, kind of asking it to to outline a blog post or even to write a blog post. And there's that you know, kind of whenever I've used any of that content, I've been pretty transparent in terms of like, hey, I've been playing with this AI tool and with some back and forth, here's what we ended up with and trying to be transparent about that. Um, mm-hmm. What, what, what uh, you know, I guess, I mean, ethical dilemma around how much you disclose use of that, or is it just a different form of a ghostwriter and a question around if somebody uses a ghostwriter, <laughs> Do they need to disclose that? I mean, what 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 are your thoughts on on navigating either of that, whether it's you know human assistance that might go as far as quote unquote ghostwriting or or AI? Well, it's interesting um, when it comes to ghostwriting. I do not do ghostwriting. I do not encourage my authors. In fact, I really discourage them because they're losing out on, like I say, this transformational power of authorship. There's something about collating, curating, um, diving through the information, 
coupling it with your own experiences and coming up with these ideas that is indeed transformational. So you're missing that if you're using a ghostwriter. You're missing that if you're relying exclusively on AI. So um, I, I, I believe that um, if we're really going to be true to our craft uh, as thought leaders, then we we need to use it. I think AI can be a powerful tool uh, when used to just explore. Did I get everything that I wanted to in that in that discussion of those topics? Did I cover everything? In fact, I wrote an article last night. I went to uh, to AI uh, to ChatGPT and I put in my question about how authors can use AI. And um, and it came up with a little article, a little post. And so I took it and edited it and add my own stories, add my own personality. And what I'm planning to do is some kind of learning event, maybe where I take authors through that experience of coming up with the, the raw data, editing, adding your own layer of experience, changing the things you don't agree with or that you don't like or that you don't want to focus on and coming up. And I think that's that's probably the ethical way to deal yeah. with uh, AI. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious if, if somebody ever lists chat GPT as a co-author. <laughs> Just to say, <laughs> all right, look, I'm going to disclose it. But I mean, I think there's one other interesting use. I don't know if you've tried this where, and there's limits to how much text you can copy paste, but you can take text paste it in and say, um, you know, ask it, uh, summarize this for me. That might be a way of kind of checking for, I mean, it's an AI reader. And I mean, I, I would still, I'm still asking human readers to read and give feedback and, you know, but as a way of checking, like, I think this main point I hope is clear, but it's, it's always in the eye of the reader or the brain Absolutely. of the computer. reader. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting to hear more from you over time, Kathy, as uh, you're yeah, exploring. It will. It will. And, and helping others. Um, so I want to talk more about, you know, the writing process. And again, like I mentioned up front, you know, you've you've been a helpful coach um, for, for me. Uh, I, I It's taken me longer than six weeks to write my books, and that's not your fault. I'm not. I'm not. No, that, I, the world today is so crazy and we're all so crazy busy that nobody really writes their book in six weeks anymore. Yeah. But, uh, but it can I, happen if you're truly focused and deliberate and intentional. Yeah. And, you know, and part of my challenge has been juggling uh, book time with other responsibilities and the schedule. And, you know, one one way you've helped me and, you know, I try to turn this into a question I mean, talk about how you've helped others. Like you, you've been helpful to me in terms of not just recommending that I block time, but that I block time with a specific purpose, and to to try to bite off uh, a smaller uh, bite of this big task called write the book, and to break it down <laughs> into smaller tasks. So I, you know, I yeah, think that it, was helpful. it really doesn't help to put write book on your calendar. Or, um, or or on your to-do list or anything else. It's just too big. It's too unwieldy. And we need to have specific tasks and specific time frames. So the more specific we can get on those, the better we will be. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think there's also the trap of, you know, uh, thinking about the book as opposed to putting fingers on keyboard. <laughs> how, how, how do you help coach people? 
through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I've got it all right here. It's right here. But yeah, it, it, it takes a lot to get it from your head to the page. And the hard work is to sit down and actually crank it out. Uh, for most of my authors, too, I, I find that they overthink the book. They're they're trying too hard to write perfect sentences, perfectly crafted posts, perfect perfect gems of writing. And it just doesn't happen that way. You need to, to throw up on the page to get it all out and then go back through it and edit it. And that's a completely separate function from the writing of the book. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's the writing and, you know, um, maybe let me ask this as a question. I mean, like I found it can be a very iterative process. You outline what you think the book is going to be, and then you're writing and then you realize, well, I mean, you can always rearrange and I mean, do, do you do you see anyone fall into a trap of being like a little too stubbornly stuck to, well, this this was my plan. I need to execute it. Like how <laughs> how do you help someone navigate through that challenge of right. do, do I change or do I keep moving forward? It's kind of like back to your jobs question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's really, it's really interesting. Usually if someone's brain is saying this is not working, they will get stuck. And that's usually a reason for being stuck is that it's just sort of not working. It's not flowing. It's not producing results. So that's when I usually know when when someone is stuck uh, and they say, oh, we need to skip a meeting. No, I said, that's when we need to meet most of all and to talk through what's really going on. Have you not defined your thesis correctly? Have you not defined your targeted reader? Is the structure uh, for discussion discussing your topic, is it not laid out properly? So let's figure out what what's getting in the way of you moving forward. Because if you had a clear vision and if it was all working, you would have it done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I've certainly went through cycles of Moving forward, being stuck, going back, trying again. You've helped me navigate um, some of that. And yeah, what you say is true. Like you, you hit a certain point where, like, okay, well, I think this is it. I'm going to plow forward, and then you hit some other, maybe smaller roadblock. Um, but mm-hmm. you again, like you can go back and, and edit and and refine um, the writing. So I, I, you know, I want to talk also a little bit before we wrap up, thinking about the publishing side and, and, the, and the decisions that an author um, has to make. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's the manuscript, there's the book description, the old cliche of um, don't judge a book by its cover. There are these really important decisions around uh, a title and, and, and cover design. And how, how do you help people navigate the question of like, what's, what's the right title or what's a title that's good enough? What's the right <laughs> cover design? Because you, you could agonize over that forever. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, So there's two parts to a a book title. There's the main title and there's the subtitle. And what I found to be most helpful is that one of those pieces needs to be compelling, needs to be intriguing, needs to be sexy, if you will. The other part needs to be definitive. It needs to tell the reader what they're getting. Now, you you can rearrange those. It doesn't matter which is which. Sometimes uh, authors have a really catchy name um, for their title, but it doesn't really tell the whole story, but the subtitle does. Sometimes the title tells 
what it is, but the subtitle is sort of what gets you intrigued about reading that. So it has to have both pieces. Um, I also think it has to appeal to your reader. It, it can't be just something that you like and something that um, is appealing to you. So um, using your own judgment isn't always the best way. Uh, so many of my authors uh, in working with a public, I'm not a publisher, but in working with a publisher, we'll do a, a, a cover contest. And it's about what readers and potential readers think about the cover. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, one of my um, authors or a, a couple wrote a book and they had this gorgeous picture taken of the two of them. And of course I know them and love them and they are dear people. And the picture of the two of them was just great. And so I thought that is the picture for the cover of the book. But people who didn't know them say, you know, I don't get it. Uh, I don't, I don't know their story. I don't know what this is about. Uh, yes, they look like lovely people, but would I pick up this book? Probably not. So they went with a cover that was very, very different from the two of them. Now on the back cover, there is a picture of the two of them, but the front cover is something a little more curious and invites more introspection about what their book is really all about. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I love the notion of having it reader tested. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's different ways of getting feedback, um, surveys. Um, people love voting on LinkedIn polls. If you post photos of, you know, yes. some different options and that actually, <laughs> every time people vote or comment that helps a post go viral, which is giving good promotion um, to, to the book. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Involving your readers early on in the process, getting them invested and um, connected. Yeah. But, you know, back to your um, advice around title and subtitle. I mean, I, just to, to share again, sorry to bring it back to my book again. Like, I think, sure. I think the mistakes that make us is sort of an intriguing, interesting yes. phrase. And I've gotten, you know, pretty good positive feedback on that. But right now, like the working subtitle is more of that definitive um Building a workplace culture of learning and innovation. Like that's fairly, I think, fairly straightforward as opposed to another mm -hmm. phrase. There's another phrase we kicked around um, that's a fun phrase, something like how getting things wrong can make it right. But then that would be like intriguing, intriguing as a title and a subtitle maybe wouldn't work together. Mm hmm. But you can certainly use that copy uh, as you're promoting the book and talking about the book. So um, remember that you can still keep those words and phrases and uh, use them for many other purposes. And I've got a file where phrases like yeah. that are uh, tucked <laughs> aside and, and, and pulled out of the book. So, you know, the, the other thing when, then when it comes to publishing is the thinking about the business model. And part of that is setting the price of the book. Now, when I've gone through traditional publishers, my perception has been that they want to set the price too high because they're only making money off the book. Whereas for me, I can accept a lower margin on the book, assuming that means more copies get out there. And that's more exposure than to things like speaking, consulting, training, you know, other, other, other entries. So at least for me, that that's a very, that's one of the many compelling reasons to do quote unquote self-publishing 
But yes, let me, let me turn it back to you to that question around, you know, book pricing and, and trying to figure out like what what the sweet spot might be. Well, I think uh, my advice typically is don't don't overthink this. If it's a traditional book, people expect to pay about 20 bucks for that book. So why not make it easy on your uh, customer, especially if you're speaking in an event, you want to sell books, let's make it easy for folks to give you a $20 bill and walk away with their book. Uh, so those are some considerations as well. Um, so thinking about um, how to make it how to make it easy for folks as they're uh, buying books, but also how you might make it easy to discount books um, by having your book self-published, uh, knowing that your cost per book is uh, fairly low, you can offer discounts to organizations who want to bring you in to speak and they want to get a book for everybody in the crowd. And that's several hundred books. Mm -hmm. You can afford then to discount it and everybody wins. Yeah. 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 And that boy, the, the, the price per book as a quote unquote self-publisher is, you know, far lower, you know, you're getting them at cost, which, you know, for this upcoming book, um, yeah, I mean, people can go do calculators online to see how much it costs. It probably, you know, three and a half, four dollars, right? To get a copy. Where if I went through a traditional publisher in the past and they wanted to charge thirty, and they would give me a forty percent discount, that that's twenty. Wait, point six times thirty. Gosh, I'm better at math than this. <laughs> Um, 18 bucks. Don't ask me. Remember, oh. I, I was the one who opted out of finance. <laughs> so my mistake, and I'm not going to edit that out. 18, you know, $18 for an author copy versus four, or like you said, for bulk sales, that that's a huge difference right there. Yes. Yeah. So maybe um, final question, Kathy, and again, we're, uh, we're talking with Kathy Fiat, the business book coach. Um, there's that question, and you know, I think people still reach out to me and they frame the question in terms of like, I'm trying to choose a publisher or I'm trying to get selected by a publisher. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, are you considering yourself in that list of, of possibilities? I think the it's a misnomer to say self publishing because I, I work with many different talented business partners to help bring a book. Um, to, to, to market. Yes. But, but let, let me ask it as, you know, kind of a, a very broad question of, of your thoughts on somebody trying to navigate maybe the pros and cons of, do I need a publisher? Should I go with a publisher? Or can I work with people to do it, quote unquote, myself? Yes. I'm a big believer in, um, in hybrid publishing or self-publishing, whatever you want to call it. Um, but having a fee-for-service model where you pay and then the publisher is sort of out of it. I mean, they they don't get any residuals. They don't get any royalties. They don't get any of that. And for most speakers, consultants, um, coaches, people who are using their book to leverage their expertise in the marketplace, um, it doesn't make sense for many authors to go traditional publishing because their your hands are tied on so many levels. Uh, the cost of the book, uh, your creative uh, input, uh, you have say when it's uh, a hybrid publisher or your own publishing, you have all creative control, total creative control. And sometimes those things can be huge. Um, also residual prod products or or um, uh, workbooks, other materials that come from it. You may have um, 
a lot of different ideas about how you can leverage your intellectual property. And it doesn't make sense to have that all tied up, uh, copyright tied up with a publisher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems, and what do you mean by hybrid publishing for people who don't know that, that term? Okay. So I always say that, um, Publishing a book, uh, well, uh, saying that you're self-publishing is sort of like saying I'm building my own home. Um, You have lots of different uh, varieties. You can actually, you know, go out and buy the lumber and develop the plans and hammer the nails and you can do all that. Or you can um, do some of that. You can hire a a subcontractor or or have some of that done. Or you can hire a contractor who will then have subcontractors and that's still building your own house. So that's very similar to the options that are available to you as an author to have your book published. You can do it all yourself. I don't recommend it for busy professionals when you have to learn all the rules of the road and you don't want to look like you're self-published or your homemade. It it doesn't look right. So you want to be sure that you're having it done well. So you can hire a a lot of subcontractors or you can hire, in this case, a hybrid publisher who can get all of that done for you. And I like that for my uh, busy professionals because they can turn it over to one person. They have one point of contact and um, it's it's really a, a lovely, clean and productive way for them to move their book forward. Okay. So that's helpful. Yeah. The difference between, you know, and I've, I've served as my own general contractor. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I wonder if I should be, or if that's a mistake, but, um, but I think your point is a good one, Kathy, of making sure, because when I've worked with people to do, let's say interior design of the book, like you said, it's fee for service. I, I am paying them to do certain work and certain updates and that's mine. And whether they help me or not, I have the direct connection to Amazon, which is where most books are sold. Payments flow directly to me as opposed to going through um, a third party who's taking a cut of each book. Well, and then the the hybrid publisher that I like to work with does not take a cut, uh, which I think is really the, the right way to work. And for authors who want to establish their um, thought leadership, and speak and train and uh, consult and coach, uh, it really makes more sense to have that publisher out of the way and not taking any monies from the author. Yeah. And then there's, you know, one other tip that I had gotten, even going back to 2008, going through a publisher, that tip was make sure the copyright is in your name, not the publisher's name, because the warning I was given was if the publisher were to go out of business, then you could take the book and get it printed yourself or find another publisher. And, you know, I found the publisher initially proposed copyright in their name. I didn't have to push back very hard, but sometimes you have to know what to ask if if you're going that route. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Kathy, thank you for for sharing, you know, not not just your story and and your reflections um, from your career path, but, you know, a lot of really good tips here about um, kind of, conceptualizing and writing and and, and publishing a book. And I would certainly uh, encourage people to check out Kathy's website, kathyfyock.com. And there'll be a link there in the show notes. And I've got to ask before we wrap up here, I had to cough and I think I misclicked and actually didn't mute. Did you hear me cough? No. uh -uh. Okay. 
Um, I because I, I sort of had that moment of like, oh gosh, I, I, I it's my my, my might have been my mistake. I'll go and double check and uh, edit that out and not be coughing in people's ears. <laughs> but uh, my podcasting mistakes or, or near mistakes. But uh, again, um, you know, Kathy Fiox, she's been uh, a really really great coach and advisor for me through these different projects. And um, you know, Kathy, thank you again uh, for working with me and thank you for being here on the podcast. Well, thank you, Mark. Well, thanks again to Kathy for being my coach. Thanks to her for being a guest today. To learn more about Kathy, everything she does, her books and more, look in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 216. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. 